we've now come to the place in our service where we consider God's Word. We're continuing our series through the book of Jonah, and here to read our scripture is Carol. This morning's reading is taken from Jonah 1, verses 7 to 16. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the law fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to our morning service. Uh, for those of you who don't me, I'm Dan McDonald, uh, lead pastor of Grace Toronto Church. For those of you who do know me, I am trying to grow a beard. I said it would never happen, and then I had a daughter. <laughs> well, we are continuing our series on Jonah. We recognize this, that Jonah is a story about you and me. It's a story about us, and particularly in this passage, it's also a story about fear. We know fear. We have been living through COVID now for months, the shadow of the fear of death. But as we're about to find out, there are many kinds of fear. And as this passage shows us, the fear of death, we will see, isn't really the fear that drives us, nor is it the fear that will save us. Here in this passage, the book of Jonah teaches us profound life lessons about deeper kinds of fear, the kind of fear that drives us and the kind of fear that saves us. We'll look at those two in turn. Firstly, the kind of fear that drives us. We're picking up our narrative here of Jonah in the middle of a storm. Jonah has been told by God to go to Nineveh, um, and Nineveh is uh, in the southeast direction from Israel. It's the Assyrian imperial capital. Instead, Jonah gets on a boat, this boat, and he heads northwest to Spain. He goes to Tarshish, which is uh, the, the ruins are right by the present city of Seville. And while he's on the boat, God chases him and God finds him. 
God always does. We can run from God, but we cannot hide. And here God brings an uncontrollable storm to the boat that Jonah is a passenger on. And the sailors, at the end of their wits, with some inkling that this is no ordinary storm, they cast lots to see what is going on, who is the problem. That was common back then. The lot falls on Jonah. God is using their ways of figuring out what the gods are doing to hear what he is doing. Jonah is outed. And so they begin to pepper him with questions. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where are you going? What do you do? They're seeking answers to make sense of this calamity, just, just like what we have been doing during COVID. And Jonah answers. And he said to him, it says, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, now, if you read it in the original Hebrew, it would sound quite different. It would sound a little bit like what we think of as Yoda in Star Wars, because he fronts the object. He says, a Hebrew I am, the Lord of heaven I fear. The emphasis is on Hebrew and the Lord. You see, the reader finds this not Star Wars intriguing, but ironic, cynically laughable. Jonah says he fears the Lord, but he's running away from God. He's doing the exact opposite of what God explicitly told him to do. As Lyndon said so poignantly last week, men and women, all of us, all of us have the inclination to run from God. You may have gone to church all your life. You may have read the Bible from cover to cover numbers of times. You may have heard innumerable sermons, and yet still in your heart, you run from God because there's a deep fear that's actually controlling you. And it's the fear that Jonah has. And as we're about to find out, not just Jonah. Now the focus here in this passage is actually on the sailors. Readers may be chuckling at Jonah, but the sailors are not. They are trembling, it says, with fear. He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then it says, verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? Greatly, exceedingly afraid. Jonah said, Jonah had just said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. That means the God of everywhere. So here's an interesting moment. Someone deeper than death, someone deeper and bigger than the gods you know of, you know, you sailors, of a a God of the sea and a God of land and a God of rain, but there's a God above all those gods. There's a God of death and life. And he is the one who's after Jonah, and he is the one who's caused the storm that's about to sink your boat. So as these sailors take center stage... And the narrator begins to focus on them. They begin to learn about the real issue here. The real fear isn't that I may die, but that I might face the God of life and death. So what do, we, what do they do? What, what do they do with this God they're beginning to hear about? Do, do they try and know him? No, they try and appease him. They say back to Jonah, verse 11, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? for us, or perhaps in the original Hebrew, from us, because it's assaulting us. Us. You see, we don't want to know God. 
but we want God off our back. And Jonah plays with that question, with his answer. He says, throw me in. Pick me up, he says, and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down from you, or for you. You see? What does he say? I'll help you appease God. What do they do? They don't even listen to him. They've just heard a precise word from the prophet of God about the precise problem and how God will be satisfied. So what do they do? It says, verse 13, Nevertheless, (laughs) the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now again, the reader's chuckling, not at Jonah this time, but at them, at the sailors. Because an original reader with any knowledge of the sea and strong storms knows that in the face of a strong storm at sea, the most dangerous place for a ship to go is near land. Because the wind might beat it against the land, and the wind beating the ship against the land will break it up. They're acting irrationally. They're acting exactly against what they know God wants of them. So, who are we chuckling at now? Them. Why? Because they are acting like Jonah. Why? Because we've come to the most profound first realization that there's a fear that drove Jonah away from God and there's a fear now that as they're encountering God is driving them away from him too you see it's the fear that drives you and me that drives all of us it's the fear of losing control beneath their fear of death concealed as a fear of death is a deeper fear the fear of losing control And is that not just like our present culture, like you and me? We fear above all things. COVID has revealed this, that we fear above all things, losing control. Tom Bunn, a licensed clinical worker, wrote this in Psychology Today. In spite of our illusion of control, the pandemic happened and it shattered our illusion of control. Much more profoundly, the Dutch poet and novelist Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer living in Italy during the pandemic, said these words. He said, we told ourselves that we made sacrifices to save lives. We said to beat the virus, but that was not all about it. It was about control. Since we have put God inactive and ripped his creation out of his hands, we have become our masters of our destiny. Life was makeable, and we even control death as we will. Suffering was obsolete and happiness was available to order. We tamed the capriciousness of chance, eliminated risks, and strived for total control over everything. One wimpy, microscopic virus shattered our illusion of control. This explained our panic and our outrageous reaction. We tried to regain control by putting everything we could think of under draconian control. He's talking about lockdown. We had to show that we are in charge. This storm, this COVID has revealed that we, just like Jonah, just like the sailors, have a fear that drives us, a deep need to be in control and a fear of losing control. That is the fear that drives us, men and women, but it is not the fear that saves us.
Let us look now at a deeper, more powerful, more profound, and more liberating fear. The fear that God gives us of himself, that he is chasing us, that he might impart to us. The fear that saves us. Our second point, the fear that saves us, starting in verse 13. Therefore, after they had rowed and not been able to get away, get to shore, get to safety, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Here, the sailors turn from fleeing God to facing God. They acknowledge his power and rule over the situation. They acknowledge his control. They plead for mercy to cover any sin they might be doing in throwing Jonah over the side. This, I submit to you, is faith. Facing God for who he is, the Lord of heaven, of sea, and land, the Lord from whom we cannot hide and we must face. Indeed, it's early faith. It's hesitant, nervous faith. It's the faith of someone just learning to trust. It's saying, okay, I'm trusting you now. I'm trusting that the giving of this third party into the storm of your judgments, the right thing to do, makes little sense to me, but we're entrusting ourselves to your justice and we're entrusting ourselves to your grace and to your ways. Take his life for ours. That's faith. And God answered this faith. He calmed the storm of judgment completely. And then they feared exceedingly. But this time, they didn't fear death. They didn't fear the judgment of God. They feared in awe and worship and reverence and gratitude a gracious, holy, beautiful God. They made vows to him. They sacrificed him. That is the language of covenant relationship. They believed in the God of Israel. They feared him. In other words, in awe and reverence and gratitude, they made him their deepest, most controlling influence of their life. They gave up control to him in trust, resting their lives on him. That, that is the fear, I submit to you, that frees us that liberates us, that saves us. Now, what about Jonah? You know, Jonah here uh, is this flatline character. It doesn't seem to have any character progression. It's they who fear, fear exceedingly, and then fear the Lord exceedingly. They have this narrative progression. He just kind of sits here, it seems like. So scholars are divided. There are people like uh, Chisholm. Chisholm thinks that Jonah is actually trying to kind of do a suicide here. He wants to be thrown in so his life will be extinguished. That way, Nineveh will be destroyed, and perhaps relief will come to Nineveh's vassal state, Israel. Other people are, mm, they don't know. They're not sure what he's doing. Some think he's very noble, etc. What is clear, though, from the text is that Jonah has himself stopped fleeing God. He is now willing to face God to be thrown into the storm of God's judgment, into the sea that God is ruling over. He stopped fleeing 
And he's willing to face God. That we know. So Jonah, like the sailors, has moved from fleeing to facing. What about God here? Yeah, the invisible hero of this passage. God is not mentioned as an actor in this passage. He's only referred to by both Jonah and the sailors. He's kind of the silent party to all this, but he's not silent at all, is he? He's doing something amazing. Three things happen here that are completely miraculous. Firstly, the obvious one. The sea is immediately calmed. A physical miracle is happening. Now, of course, if God exists, he can do physical miracles like this and like a big fish swallowing Jonah. That's, that's pretty easy for the creator of the world to bend the normal and natural rules of justice. I mean, of the material, natural world so that his miraculous events can happen. So God here kills the storm, as it were. The Hebrew is a little ambiguous, actually. It says the storm ceased, but it could also mean his storm or he, his rage ceased. Mark Futato, when asked about what this Hebrew ambiguity means, he's a Hebrew scholar, does it refer to to the sea or to God's raging as ceasing? Futato says, yes, both. The sea is completely calm. Secondly, the sailors are completely saved. They're not just saved from death. They're saved from something greater than death. Something to be feared more deeply than death. They're saved from eternal alienation from the God of life and death. The God who will give eternal life to each and every one of us. But to some of us, we will be with him in unbelievable joy for all eternity. And for others, we will be alienated from him in unbelievable anguish for all eternity, what the Bible calls hell. The sailors here are saved from their alienation from God. The sailors have progressed from fear of death to fear of the judgment of God who controls life and death to the awesome, reverent, grateful reverence for God that is also called fear who has delivered them from death and from eternal death. Finally, Jonah himself is redeemed despite his sin and disobedience. Jonah does not die. A large fish, as we will see next week mostly, swallows him up, saves his life, and actually brings him to the shores of Nineveh so that he can do the call of God. This is all God's doing. The redemption of Jonah, the complete saving of the sailors, the complete calming of the sea. What Jonah meant for evil, God has worked a wondrous, miraculous good. God took Jonah's disobedience. He turned it into a saving encounter for the sailors. So now not only does the knowledge of God go south and east to Assyria and its capital Nineveh, it goes north and west to Spain, the seat of the imperial power in the ancient Near East, Assyria. The outer borders, from a reader's point of view, of known civilization, Spain. You see what he's saying? From east to west, the glorious good news of God is being brought by the disobedience of Jonah. What a picture of grace. And of course, in this picture of God taking 
Jonah's disobedience and making it a blessing for multiple nations. This is pointing to a contrasting and parallel story of a later prophet, a final prophet, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus, who would come, called by God to leave his home and come and bring the good news to a far and distant and disobedient land. But the home he left wasn't Jerusalem or Israel. It was heaven itself because Jesus was God the Son. God living in perfect harmony who came down not to a hostile imperial power but to enslaved planet. This earth where all of us like Jonah and the sailors are captured by this deep fear of losing control because we have this deep idol of wanting to control our own destinies. And in that way, we are in rebellion against God. But as God chased Jonah and God went to the sailors, so God in Jesus here, in this final picture called the Gospel, comes to all of us. Jesus, the final Jonah, comes. But the Jonah as he ought to have been, obeying God's call to bring good news to us. Jesus willingly did what Jonah was not willing to do until those final moments. Jesus left his home, went to us, came to us, and then willingly allowed himself to be, as it were, rejected by us, thrown out of the boat of humanity, hung on a cross and nailed to a cross so that he could be hurled into the storm of God's righteous judgment against you and me and our selfishness and our desire to control the universe. Romans 3 says there's no one who does good. None seeks for God. Together they have all become worthless. We are all guilty of running from God and trying to replace God as the one who controls our destiny. But God in Jesus has chased us down. What God meant for good, so did Jesus. He's not like Jonah. God in Jesus meant that hurling for good. Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We have no doubts about why Jesus allowed himself to endure the judgment of God. We, not like Jonah, where it's ambiguous. Jesus did not leave it ambiguous. For the joy of our being made right with God, of our sin being paid for, he endured the cross. He became a curse for you and for me. Three quick implications as we close. Firstly, for those of us who are sailors in the audience, people just learning about God, just trying to get to know God, locate yourself with the sailors in the spiritual journey that that they are taken through here. Are you at the place where you primarily think you have a fear of death? Or have you progressed one step further, as they did in the story, to admit that the loss of control is a bigger fear? Or can you go one step deeper in your spiritual journey, and are you willing to admit that the God behind death is a deeper fear? That you're afraid that when you die and you face a courtroom, It won't be empty, but there will be a judge there. And he will examine all your works. And he will see if you are fit for his kingdom. He who is perfectly holy. 
Or are you willing, as they finally were, are you willing to turn from controlling your life to turning to God in, sure, hesitant, nervous faith and say, I'm going to trust that the death of somebody else on my behalf will calm the storm of your judgment against me. Where are you in that journey? Take the next step. Stop fleeing God and start facing Him. For those of us who are Jonas in this story, people who know God already, people who call themselves Christians, do you not see that Jonah is meant to be a picture of Israel? Israel, remember the story of the Old Testament? Israel was put in the middle of the ancient Near East to be a blessing in the midst of the crossroads of the trade routes of those days. It was meant to tell the truth about the beauty and grace of God to the world. And so Jonah was called to do that, to take the beauty of the message of the grace of God to Nineveh. But he ran. Are you running? Are you blessing the world with the good news of the final Jonah Jesus? Or are you running from God? Is there a mixture of both in you? Is is part of you fearing the Lord God and facing Him, but part of you, you're still running. You're still fleeing. Bring your fleeing from God to God. Don't flee from God. Flee to Christ for grace in God. For with Christ is abounding forgiveness and infinite grace. Bring your fleeing to the cross and face God and then enlist others to help you. There are so many times when in my life I have fled from God. I've told this story many times, but... um, In my battle against uh, self-doubt, self-criticism, and anger, I've had to enlist others at various times, counseling, my wife, a mentor, training, biblical memorization. I've allowed the group around me that knows me in to help me, and I've seen great progress. I'm, I'm not there yet. But there are always parts of us that we're nursing that are fleeing from God. And God in His grace is saying, come, give me that part of you. Stop running. Come to my grace. See my son enter the storm of judgment for you. Finally, for all of us, the sailors and the the Jonas, we all want to face Jesus. Look at Jesus. He went into the storm of God's judgment for you while being God. He went into the storm of his own father's... He went into the storm of his own judgment against us. What kind of a God would do that? That's a God you can give vows to. That's a God you can give a sacrifice of your life to. That's a God you can stop fleeing and fully follow. Even into the dark and difficult places of life that God may call you to. Face Jesus. And finally, for all of us, fear God. He is the deepest fear. Fear is actually a name in the Old Testament for God. 
He is the one to build your life around. He is the one to control your dreams, your desires, your schedule, your energy. He will not spare us from the storms of life, but he will give us his peace in the midst of it. Face Jesus. Fear God, all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you. And I pray now that you would help us, all of us, to realize that we do flee you because we have deep fears, mostly the fear of losing control. So we need to face you and give our love of control up to you who actually control the storms and the seas and the land and the heavens. You are in control. And you are a God of infinite grace. Help us to go there, to go to you, to face you, to flee to you, and to fear you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.